Welcome to Generational Wealth MD's podcast on financial freedom through investing in real estate. My name is Param Baladandapani. I'm a mom, radiologist, real estate investor, and mentor to others looking to start or scale their real estate portfolios. Thank you for being here today. The goal of this podcast is to provide you with inspiration, strategies, and insight so that you can stop trading your time for money and live life on your terms. If you love the episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Today's topic is how to de-risk your short-term rental. And I'm doing this because I get these questions quite a bit. A lot of you are interested in doing short-term rentals and there's always the question of, well, is this risky? Is this for me? Um, How do I make sure I'm not taking on too much risk? So today we're going to break it down. We're going to talk about de-risking your short-term rental strategy and de-risking your property per se. But before I get started, like always, let's talk quickly about why we're even considering short-term rentals, right? The reason a lot of physicians are interested in short-term rentals is because of the returns, right? Uh, Significantly higher returns compared to long-term rentals. And a big part of that is going to be from cash flow, which is significantly higher. In our community, we try to hit cash flow, uh, cash and cash returns greater than 20% in the markets that we our, our members typically invest in. And that's a good target to have, even in the current environment with the higher interest rates that we're seeing. We're still hitting those numbers. And that's what uh, with self management, and that's when it starts making sense. And for many of you who are looking to use a 10% down second home loan for short term rentals, remember that when you do that, you're optimizing leverage and you're boosting returns on two fronts, you're increasing returns that you're getting with debt pay down, which is when you're paying down the principal portion of your mortgage, that goes up from 6% when you're putting 25% down all the way up to 15% annually, just from debt pay down your big, you know, your ROI because of market appreciation, when you're only putting 25% down, when you're factoring in historic average annual appreciation for real estate, which is close to three to 4%, well, let's take the lower number 3%. If you have 25% leverage in a property, your ROI ends up being around 12% because of the leverage multiplier. But when you only have 10% down in a short-term rental, you're getting anywhere from 30 to 40% ROI every year just because of market appreciation again. So you're seeing that big boost over there. And then the biggest one, which fascinates many of us, is the fact that even if you're working full-time and you, or you're a two-physician, uh, two-income household, both of you are working full-time, you're still able to tap into those tax-saving strategies with short-term rentals where you're able to shelter your clinical income from taxes in the year that you acquire the short-term rental if you're materially participating in it, right? And so if you have any questions about that, I discussed that in multiple prior podcasts, you can listen to it. But this is why short-term rentals are still fascinating, especially in the current environment. You're still easily able to get upwards of 75% ROI in year one. If you're forcing appreciation, you're doing rehabs like I did with my first short-term rental, you can get anywhere up to 200% ROI year one, that's possible. But for most of you, even if you're not tapping into the tax strategies, you can easily get 60 to 75% ROI year one once you're factoring in all those multiple ways that you're making returns with short-term rentals, right? So anyways, that's why everyone's interested. Today, we're going to talk about what the risks are with short-term rentals and how you can mitigate those risks in your portfolio, right? So when you think about short-term rentals, they tend to be a little more affected by macroeconomic trends than long-term rentals, right? 
Now, with a long-term rental, even with the housing market crash in 07, 08, uh, what happened is that rents nationally dropped by around 4% in most markets year one, and then maybe another 4 or 5% year two, and then they started steadily going back up. So long-term rental rents are slightly affected, if at all, by macroeconomic trends, but short-term rental revenue could drop when you have an economic recession, right? And so that's one of the risks that you're facing with short-term rentals. And then you have the regulatory risks where regulations can change in terms of how long you can rent the property. So that's something that you have to be on the lookout for. And then the third one that I like to always remember is that, you know, you always risk spending more time on that portfolio, more time than you're willing to do. So the risk of really uh, being more hands-on in your portfolio is something I think you should consider when you think about this as a strategy, right? So we're going to break it down and talk about all of those risks and how to mitigate them. Um, and so, like I said, de-risking, I look at de-risking your short-term rental from a strategy perspective and then from a property perspective. So let's start off with the strategy. How do you de-risk your short-term rental strategy, right? And I'm going to go over five to six pointers for that, and then we'll move on to the property. So the first thing, most important thing, and you hear me say this over and over again, you de-risk your strategy when you educate yourself, right? When you educate yourself about the best markets to invest in, you know, what kind of seasonality am I okay with? Uh, which markets are strong short uh, vacation markets where I can still hit those cash and cash returns that make sense that where, you know, the property still makes sense, where the numbers make sense. So what kind of numbers am I supposed to expect? How do I run those numbers? Right. Um, and uh, how do I automate and optimize? So I am making the best use of my time. All of this is really, really important. And that's the most important thing that you can do for your short-term rental strategy. Now, for those of you who haven't had a chance to listen to prior podcasts or are interested in learning more, if you haven't signed up for the three-day live coaching event in the second week of September, please make sure you do. It's Generational Wealth MD slash event. We're going to be talking strategy. We're going to talk implementation and we're going to talk scaling. And this is for anyone. If you're just beginning to think about real estate, this covers you. I got you covered. If you're, if you have a few properties you're thinking about scaling, this works for you too. And I'm creating content right now. I'm being very intentional about making sure it caters to all of you. So definitely sign up. Educating yourself is the best thing you can do for your real estate in portfolio per se. Okay. So the first one is education. Second thing is location, 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 which you hear all the time in real estate. And I cannot uh, stress this enough. Now, when we talk about short-term rentals, I've talked about this before. You have your fly, uh, fly to markets, your drive to markets and your metro markets, right? Typically, that's how you divide your short-term rentals. And your drive to markets tend to be more resilient in times of economic recession, right? That's your markets where like, you know, like your, uh, like Yosemite, like uh, the Smoky Mountains, right? Your beach destinations in Florida, those are drive to markets, because even in times of economic recessions, people do tend to vacation, they just tend to drive, they go to places that are closer by. Now, that's different from your fly to mark destinations like Orlando and Hawaii, where a lot of people fly to these locations. Now they can be more affected during an economic recession. We saw this happen during the pandemic. Uh, Hawaiian um, vacation rentals were affected more. And so this is something to keep in mind, right? So where are you investing your location? Now, the next thing you have to remember is geographic diversification. Now, geographic diversification is really important in any kind of real estate portfolio, right? Even if it's a long-term rental portfolio, this is important because if you're concentrated in one area, 
um, natural disasters can cause your entire portfolio to be affected. You do not want that. If you're considered in one area and a big player in that market, which employs a lot of people moves from that market, again, you're getting affected by that, right? So those are two big things that apply to any real estate portfolio, but specifically to short-term rentals. Remember, geographic diversification is important for two more reasons. Regulatory changes. If you have any changes in regulation that limit the, you know, limit shorter stays in that area, then you're going to get really hit really hard if you're concentrated in one area. So that's where geographic diversification makes more sense in a short-term rental portfolio. And then another advantage, if you're investing primarily in short-term rentals, is when you invest in different markets, you're able to tap into that 10% down second home loan more frequently in those multiple markets. So again, strategy-wise, it makes more sense. So um, educating yourself, picking the right location, the right market, and then geographic diversification. Now, moving on, I really want all of you, especially those of you who are conservative and are a little concerned about using the short-term rental strategy, one way to really protect your portfolio is to think about exit options from the beginning. And so for most of our short-term rental owners within our community, you can think of either mid-term rentals or long-term rentals as uh, exit options. And, you know, to think of a long-term rental as an exit option, you don't necessarily just have to be in a vacation market. A lot of our members who acquire short-term rentals, and if they have two units that are, um, if it's a duplex, some of them use one of them, uh, one of those units as a short-term rental and the other as a long-term rental, because even in those markets, there is a demand for long-term rentals. And um, you can often run those numbers in a long-term rental calculator ahead of time. Even if you're not using the strategy right away, you know, you have a backup and you know what those numbers look like. And I think that can give you confidence, right? Now, midterm rentals is another uh, is another awesome opportunity that you can use uh, as an exit strategy. Now, again, this can be used in a vacation market. We have some of our members who transitioned to that model in a vacation mar market, sometimes because of regulatory changes, but sometimes just because of wanting to be a little more hands off, because it does work even in those vacation markets. But especially in a when you're in a metro market, that can have a huge impact. And so that's another pointer for some of you who are who want to be a little more conservative, you could do the short-term rental strategy in a metro market and you could easily have the mid-term and long-term rental options as exit strategies for you. And, and that's a way of you know, playing it safe. Now, just to give you an example, Bakersfield, California, we have some of our members from the Creating Generational Freedom community run their short-term rentals and transition to the mid-term rental model. They are able to generate anywhere from eight to $10,000 a month with that model. So it's definitely something to consider for anyone who's considering short-term rentals. Keep that in the back of your mind as one of your exit strategies. Now, next point, I always say, and you've heard me say this again and again, when you're building a portfolio, if you want it to be resilient, I want you to consider adding long-term rentals to that strategy. So I don't want you to build a portfolio of just short-term rentals. Now, if you're just starting out and you want to optimize leverage and optimize returns and you really want to scale fast, it may make sense to have predominantly short-term rentals in your portfolio. But as you progress, as you go along, I want you to start adding long-term rentals to your portfolio to make it more resilient. And this is because of the risks that we talked about before, right? So the risk profile is definitely different compared to long-term rentals. For those of you who know um, Avery and Luke Carl of the Short-Term Rental Shop, their strategy is similar. You know, they're all about short-term rentals. But if you look at their personal portfolio they have around eight doors that are short-term rentals and they have over 50 doors i'm not exactly sure uh, that, uh, that, that are just long-term rentals so 
they use the cash flow from their short-term rentals to, um, you know, to expand on that long-term rental portfolio. So you can decide where you want to be on that spectrum, but I want you to consider building a portfolio that's more resilient and adding some long-term rentals in there. So that's one way of de-risking your strategy. And the final last one is trying to tap into those advanced tax strategies that we talk about, trying to maturely participate year one, try to you know, um, shelter your clinical income from taxes if possible. And the reason is because A, you then most often, if if you're doing this right, you're able to pull out all the money you put into that property in year one. You then have a property with infinite returns that is, you know, cash flowing, increasing in equity over time. And all of that is happening, although you have no money left in the deal, which is which is excellent. But when you're pulling that money out, you also are now able to hold on to that money. And it gives you the capacity to hold in the event that your revenue drops for any reason, you have that buffer, right? And that just increases your holding capacity. So those are the things as far as de-risking your strategy. And I'm hoping that that's going to be really helpful for you when you think of your, you know, your overall strategy. But now let's talk about how you de-risk your property per se. And this is going to be property specific, right? So as far as the property is concerned, the first one's going to be buying a property that is unique, right? Unique properties, which could be a a property with a view. If you're in in the mountain uh, markets, getting a log cabin or an A-frame, you know, if you're in a beach market, getting something that has beach access, uh, all of this is really important because it affects your occupancy. It really does. And this is really key. So focus on finding a property that is unique. Okay. The next thing is going to be regulations. Now, regulations that's important in your overall strategy but it's also important um when you're thinking about a specific property because regulations can change and you know in different sub markets within the same uh, overall market it can change based on your hoa rules and this is where i want you to really do your own due diligence even if you have an agent who is well versed in a short-term rental market you're working with someone who specifically works with short-term rentals and you know a lot of our members in our community, I introduce them to short-term rental specific agents. I still ask them to do their own due diligence. Call the HOA, get CCNRs. Call the uh, county clerk's uh, office. Find out about um, zoning, uh, ordinances, anything that may be in the work that isn't, which hasn't been voted on yet. You really want to know what's happening about as far as established regulations are concerned and about anything that may be in the pipeline. And then always, it's always better to go to a place that already has established regulations because if they have something in place, then um, it, that's always better than going to a place where there really isn't anything and they may be in the process of um, having something in place. You don't want to be, uh, you know, you don't want to be surprised essentially. Okay, so we talked about unique properties regulations the next thing is going to be asset protection okay when you're purchasing a short-term rental ensure that your insurance is short-term rental specific now this is very different from a long-term rental landlord policy because a short-term rental is considered a business and it's not really covered by your typical landlord policies so make sure that your short-term rental insurance is specific to a short-term rental, a business, it usually has better coverage. That's really important. If you're considering placing your short-term rental in an LLC, that's excellent because again, that gives you that increased liability protection. Make sure you're maintaining corporate veil. Again, this is something I talk about extensively within the Creating Generational Freedom program, the AP program that I have. We talk about asset protection. We talk about short-term rentals, rehabs, tax strategies, all of this. But if you're not in the program, definitely consider talking to an attorney or um, reading up. I have articles uh, about uh, asset protection, but make sure you're doing this the right way so that uh, even if you create an LLC, you want to ensure that you're maintaining corporate veil, doing things the right way so that the protection that you think you have is afforded to you. 
at the end of the day. Okay. Now the next thing is going to be pricing optimization. You're, you have a strategy, you're doing all this just to get the best returns. It's always important to have, you know, once you've listed it to have a dynamic pricing tool, don't try to figure this out yourself. Uh, price labs, something that I recommend within the community, having that really optimizes your returns. You want to do that so that you know, your overall strategy is secure so that you're making the most out of this property. You don't want to be leaving any money on the table. Now, um, the next thing I want to focus on is direct booking, right? OTAs are transitioning. Airbnb, BRBO, their policies are shifting. I want you to stay safe. I want you to, you don't necessarily need to have your own website and direct people to it right away. That may seem overwhelming for you when you're thinking about just starting, or if you have a property and you're just getting set up, you know, that may work for those of you who already have a system that's in place and you're thinking about taking it to the next level. But for all those of you who are just thinking about starting, try, if possible, from the first few months to have uh, a tool such as StayFi connected to your router. So you're collecting emails from your guests while they're staying with you. Now, and just keep that database, right? And whenever you're ready to set up your own direct booking platform, have your website, Whenever you're ready to do that, you have the data because that in in you know in the future that may be the way to go to protect yourself, and that's a way to again lower your risk by making sure you have all that data, so you're not entirely reliant on the uh, OTAs on the online platforms, right? So just make sure you're doing that. I think that's a, that's a tip that's really important that more and more people are considering doing, and I don't want you to like go out and go crazy and create your own website and do uh, Facebook marketing right away. If that seems too much, do not do that. Just collect the data so you have it when you're ready to do it. Okay. And finally, like I talked about, time is our most important commodity. When you are running numbers, make sure you're finding properties that are at least greater than 20% in terms of cash and cash returns so that you have a buffer. If at any point you want to scale back, you don't want to be spending you know, if you're optimized appropriately, you should only be spending two to three hours a week on your short-term rental portfolio. If you're doing, if you're just spending more time on it, doing something wrong, there's still scope for optimization. But once you get to that point, even if that seems too much, if you have a buffer and you're hitting those those numbers appropriately when you purchase your property, you're still able to employ a proper, uh, you know, a property manager. Or if you want to be more cost-effective and optimize your returns, you can get a virtual assistant or a co-host to help you manage your short-term rental. And I think that's another important thing to keep in the back of your mind when you're going in. Like I say, your strategy needs to be really strong upfront so that when you go and you start employing it, when you start acquiring those properties, you already know where you want to be and how to optimize it. Okay, this is not something you want to figure out as you're going along. Okay, excellent. We're at the end of it. We talked about, I think we talked about six ways to optimize your short-term rental strategy and five ways to optimize, I think it was like six ways to optimize your short-term rental property, property-specific strategy, uh, you know, things to remember. And so I want you to put all of that together. I really do think that short-term rentals are a great tool in anyone's portfolio. It could just be, you know, short-term rental by the room, um, you know, having a second home that you're using as a short-term rental that could be part year, full year, whatever. You could have a short-term rental in a metro market, whatever you want to do. I think it, there's a place for it in most of our portfolios, especially if you're full-time physicians you aren't able to tap into other advanced tax strategies uh, because you're primarily in medicine, then I think it's a great tool. Okay, so I hope this was super helpful. Definitely, definitely keep all of this in the back of your mind. And as always, I'm rooting for your success. Take care, guys. If you're interested in learning how to invest in long-term and short-term rentals the right way, 
so you can accelerate to financial independence with the support of mentorship, community, and vetted investor agents in strong markets across the country, then get on the waitlist for the next cohort of Creating Generational Freedom at www.generationalwealthmd.com. You don't have to learn from decades of costly mistakes by yourself. The program is only open for enrollment in the spring and fall each year. In the last six months alone, our members have acquired over $60 million of real estate, and more importantly, they're living life and practicing medicine on their terms. You don't have to do it alone. I hope you've been inspired by this episode and are ready to take action. Your feedback means the world to me. If you found value in what you heard, I would greatly appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate the podcast, leave a review, and follow the podcast. And if you really like the episode, share it with a friend. Your ratings, reviews, follows, and shares not only motivate me, but they also help others discover the show and join the community. So please share your thoughts. Let me know what you liked and even what you'd like to hear more of in the future. I can't wait to hear from you. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes. And until next time, take care.